Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis from Elsevier, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the pandemic and beyond. Hi, everybody. I'm Michael Caris. Today, we're going to dive into the fascinating story of a very old technology, EEGs, being mined for data using a very new technology that's changing the way that patients are treated for disorders of the brain. With us to explain is Dr. Jake Donahue, co-founder and CEO of Beacon Biosignals, a startup that applies artificial intelligence to EEGs to unlock precision medicine for neurological, psychiatric, and sleep disorders. Dr. Donahue earned his MD from Harvard Medical School and PhD in neuroscience from MIT, leading research into the effects of neuroactive compounds on brain network activity. His published works span epilepsy, cognition, and machine learning methods for quantifying pharmacological effects on neural activity. And thanks so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me. It's going to be interesting to dive into this, but first we want to learn more about you and your background and what first got you interested in medicine. Yeah, so a long journey probably didn't fall too far from the tree with a mother that's a pediatric neurologist and a father that's a neuroscientist. So I think early early days, you know, very interested in the brain and the opportunities to take care of patients and seeing that the power of being able to take care of, you know, groups of particular children with pediatric neurologic disorders and the impact you can make on their lives. I really stood through as I you know, paved my path through my training at Brown and, and Harvard at MIT. So once you were in med school, was there anything else that kind of confirmed that that was the right direction for you? Did you consider other things? I was in medical school, so again, I did my MD, PhD, so it was a long, long journey there. It was a great opportunity to really dive deep and understand, in my particular instance, the neurophysiology and, and how that relates to you know cognition and the way that drugs affect brain activity. No, I, th- I think that, you know, that's the beauty of the MD-PhD program in general and at Harvard and MIT in particular, where they really allow you to think about the number one goal is having a big, you know, harnessing, you know, deep scientific insights to, to make an impact on patients. And, you know, this path provided an opportunity to, to make that impact. Sure. You know, I said at the beginning that EEGs are very old technology. I think about a hundred years old. Could you give us kind of a grounding on what they are, what they do before we figure out what you're doing with them? Sure, absolutely. Yeah, so EEG or electroencephalography records the electrical potentials from the brain activity uh, from the scalp. It is a hundred-year-old technology. Uh, really, the first rhythm is discovered by Hans Berger, and the alpha rhythm, the posterior parts of the head. When you close your eyes, you can see this ten hertz, roughly, rhythm appear in the back of the head. And so, from these electrodes on the scalp, we're able to understand both disease processes and, and healthy brain activity by looking at how the electrical activity patterns change over time. And give people an example of like how that has typically used. Yeah. So EEG is the sort of standard of care as a part of diagnosing epilepsy. So looking for epileptiform activity, such as seizures on EEG or epileptiform spikes that may be subclinical events. And also it's worth remembering that EEG is a standard part of the polysomnogram suite. So folks getting a PSG, as that's called, for diagnosing sleep disorders are also getting their brain activity monitored. So here this is sitting out there for 100 years, and at some point you must have had an insight about applying newer technologies to maybe get more information out of those. So tell us about that and kind of the backstory of how Beacon came about. Yeah. So I think the the beautiful thing about time series data in from the brain is it it represents one-dimensional 
images. And so that what I was, you know, and, and all of us have been witnessing it through, you know, as part of taking care of patients, getting to see firsthand and, and just generally in the field, how image classification and recognition tasks have really transformed the way we think about digital pathology, radiology, you know, how we can take those tools and apply them to this data modality that, you know, where we record large quantities of data, don't have the tools to necessarily extract all the features of interest and understand their links to how patients feel, function, survive, and, and, and those underlying di diagnoses. And so at Beacon, you know, really spending my time thinking a lot about brain waves and, and how drug effects to brain activity happen during my training, became very clear that we could harness the same types of tools that were really you know, making massive improvements in, in clinical workflows and driving forward precision biotechnologies in oncology and, and medicine in general, and thinking about a similarly heterogeneous space of psychiatric disease and neurologic disease where we have you know this physiologic activity that we've never really been able to go and understand the full depth and breadth of to really capture the disease heterogeneity and so that's where so beacon emerged we're realizing we could apply these tools to this these data sets and really understand the ways that we can drive forward precision medicine for the brain so you basically are training the ai on like the data set of a patient or a huge data set of patients important question yeah so Machine learning, for everyone's aware now, with large language models and ChatGPT, benefits from really large data sets for training that need to be diverse, heterogeneous, so that they can generalize to, you know, any patient. Um, and so at Beacon, we have partnerships with academic medical centers and some of our EEG acquisition vendors, where we can aggregate over 50,000 EEGs and polysomnograms to be able to use that data to label it and train machine learning algorithms to identify features within those large recordings, as well as a consensus of experts. And so what we do there is we actually have multiple experts label, you know, hundreds of thousands of examples, for example, epileptiform spikes. So we can have eight epileptologists label hundreds of thousands of these individual sharp waves that last under one second. And we can train the model to guess what percentage of epileptologists would call this individual event an abnormal feature. So taking this consensus-based modeling, we're able to you know, remove a lot of that inter-rater variability and produce robust validated pipelines to be able to understand and run inference over very large recordings really quickly. So I'm a patient and you get my scan and the AI is able to tell based on this huge data set, maybe what I've got or what I don't got. Yeah, I think two two big examples that we like to use that stand out is and you can think about in the EEGs and some of these patients with developmental and epileptic encephalopathies where the EEG recording may have hundreds or thousands or hundreds of thousands of epileptiform spikes, depending on the duration of the recording. And so you can imagine in, in this indication where you start a new treatment in, in one of these children and you'd want to know, is there a change in the background abnormal epileptiform activity? Well, there it's, it's infeasible for a human to count the number of spikes that may be present or, or number of electrographic seizures. And so machine learning tools allow us to measure that burden quantitatively and see, you know, maybe there was a 10 to 20% reduction in some of these events that may have huge implications for that kid's long-term behavioral cognitive motor development that really just get missed through the gestalt and sort of subjective terminology we use in our medical records to describe those features. On the converse, you know, there, a patient may arrive with an individual spell of, and we'll get an EG and, and there may, you know, maybe may only be one event of potential suspicion. So, you know, 20 minute recording where one second has an event that 
that sort of caught the eye of, of the epileptologist. Well, that, you know, if that person's a pilot or, or someone that drives their car, you know, making that diagnosis based on that one sharp wave event, and of course, in context of the clinical symptoms, can have a huge impact for that, that person. So one way the machine learning tools here can be added is basically providing this expert consensus modeling so that you don't have an undercaller or an overcaller of abnormal events, you know, reading that EEG and, and making a diagnosis that, that could transform that person's life, you know, positively or, or negatively. So as the provider, is it just sort of a confidence issue that, you know, this is what I'm seeing, but I've got this beacon information that's telling me that, yeah, I'm on the right track. Yeah. So beacon right now is really focused just on our biopharma partners. So we are use, utilize our tools to bring quantitative endpoints into clinical trials. And so we're able to do things like measure every single epileptiform spike, subclinical seizure, in sleep, we can do automated sleep staging and count sleep microarchitecture events like spindles and arousals. And so these are the types of tools that we're validating in our clinical trial partners to help understand you know, target engagement, whether a new treatment is affecting brain activity and, and whether there might be certain responders to certain medications. You know, it wouldn't, as we, you know, obviously see patients meeting DSM-5 criteria for depression, some patients may have hypersomnia, sleeping 22 hours a day, as some of the patients I remember seeing versus insomnia, you know, sleep just a few hours every night. So we're, we're really thinking about what would it mean in these novel clinical trial settings to bring more quantitative insights that might define this two different classes of patients with uh, depression in, in a data-driven way, and there probably are even more to really understand which types of patients, what is their underlying sort of endophenotype and why certain groups may respond to certain treatments better. Again, this is mentality just, just that everyone sort of really thinks about in oncology that we think we can translate to the neurology and psychiatry space. In the longer term, we do see this opportunity to, to translate to the clinic where we can bring these tools to you know really improve individual patient care. Ah, gotcha. So you mentioned epilepsy and sleep, uh, psychiatric disorders. Are there other clinical trial areas where this is uh, particularly useful or effective? Yeah, one big one is in Alzheimer's disease. And so there, some of our research we put out last year, building off of a foundation put forth by by a few groups over the last five years or so, is understanding, we know, why some patients with Alzheimer's disease have cognitive decline faster than, than other subgroups of patients with Alzheimer's disease. And so one area of research we were interested in is seeing, do patients with Alzheimer's have abnormal electrical activity patterns? And so we actually looked at our, you know, large data set, over 50,000 patients, to find the patients with Alzheimer's disease that had no comorbid epilepsy. And so they had no history of seizures, but we looked at their EEGs, and we actually found subtle hints of, you know, subclinical epileptiform activity. Um, and so that had been seen a few times before, but never in a really large uh, real-world data setting. And so this is this idea that there are potentially subgroups of patients that their hippocampus is involved in a particular way where there's a hyper-excitability sort of feedback loop that might, might define a subgroup of patients that you know, have faster cognitive decline and therefore may be better or worse responders to some of these novel Alzheimer's next-generation therapies. Ah, so in other words, if you have this tendency or whatever toward epileptic seizures, your Alzheimer's could progress more quickly. That's what previous research has shown, and, and we've replicated elements of that. That's terrific. Obviously pretty profound to be able to advance understanding of Alzheimer's, my goodness. And what else are you working on that you think that, that holds a lot of promise? Yeah, well, I have to comment, uh, at least the year of the zebra uh, behind you, I think uh, is worth noting. We're really focused a lot in rare disease in developmental and epileptic encephalopathies. 
I think that there's tremendous unmet need there where these, you know, diseases that can range from a couple thousand patients to tens of thousands really are at the bleeding edge of needing next generation precision technologies. And, there, and there's a huge wave of you know, antisense oligonucleotides, gene therapies emerging that really could have a huge impact for these patients. And one of the issues that we see is it in a lot of these, for these families and for these children, the way that we measure efficacy often relies on seizure diaries. And so where we ask the families to annotate in a paper or digital diary when they have a witnessed clinical seizure. So you can imagine the burden that puts on on families, of course, and and what's more, there, there are obvious events that are just unable to to be witnessed, you know, when the when the patient is when the patient is sleeping and it's a subclinical event, there may be nothing to see, even if you're looking at your child, or if you as the parent and caregiver are sleeping and there's no one watching. Yeah, you can't be there 24/7. Exactly. And so, in addition, you know, we think that capturing the underlying brain activity, you know, almost of course has to represent the brain pathology of these, you know, developmental and epileptic encephalopathies, and by definition, where the epileptic activity is probably driving some of the pathology. And so we think there's a really big opportunity where in clinical trials where seizure diaries are going to be fraught with you know, inconsistencies and may miss the true underlying disease burden and, and outcomes scores like patients and developmental and you know, motor outcomes may take years to, to see the effect of, which you know, is infeasible for a clinical trial setting, which needs to be done in months or a year. So we're really excited about for these groups like SYNGAP1, KCNT1, Dravet syndrome, and others where we can, you know, as a platform, apply our tools to measure quantitative endpoints such as electrographic seizure burden, electrographic spike burden, and see maybe in really short order that these drugs are having a tremendous effect on brain activity and can help get these new therapies approved and, and, and into patients. Oh, that'd be terrific. So as you may know, Osmosis is a teaching company. And one thing we love to ask our guests is to give us some direction about where we should focus some attention. We make educational videos, we develop courses and so forth. So is there a topic that you're particularly interested in where you just think people don't get it? There's myths, there's gaps, there's something that should be understood that isn't right now? Yeah, I think one area that really we should all spend more time thinking about is, is in sleep medicine and how it actually applies to not just disorders like insomnia, narcolepsy, but how sleep is a fundamental part of the core pathophysiology we see in many diseases. Obviously in psychiatric disease, where it can be a part of, as we already talked about in depression or PTSD, generalized anxiety disorder. So these are symptoms that may be actually linked to the core you know, underlying etiology. And similarly, we see sleep as a core factor in neurodegenerative disease, obviously you know, most prominently in, in in disorders like Parkinson's disease, where patients have REM without atonia, but also even more subtle features we think we can pull out in, in diseases like Alzheimer's. So we think, you know, there's a lot of opportunity in this, you know, fundamental state that that all, you know, humans go through to actually bring quantitative insights to really map some of these, you know, really robust features of brain activity to understanding uh, disease and health. I'll pass that along to our crew because it's a very interesting area to explore. So, you know, a lot of the folks listening to this are either med students, nursing students, learners of other types, or early career professionals. And we always like our guests to provide their kind of go-to advice about getting through med school and approaching their career, particularly at this time when, on the one hand, everybody's been through this tremendous upheaval with 
the pandemic. And on the other hand, there's all these disruptive technologies like what you're working on coming through. Very kind of unsettled time, I think, for folks. So what's your advice about navigating all that? Yeah. I mean, I'm only a few years out, but I think no matter what path you take to have an impact for patients, it's an arduous one. It takes you know, takes a lot out of you and a lot of time, emotional energy. And so the most important thing is that you have to find what brings you the most joy and reward to to know that you're having that that impact. And whether that's, you know, being in the clinic, taking, seeing patients or thinking about how you want your your impact to potentially be at a, at a different scale or in a different, take a different form. I think at the end of the day, just figuring out what, what you love the most is really uh, the most important thing. And did you always think about becoming an entrepreneur and starting something or was that unexpected? Yeah, I think it was a bit unexpected. Although, you know, I think I always had an interest in in, in finding my own path and, and, and trying to, to have an impact on patients was really the driving narrative for me. But I think it actually, for Beacon in particular, you know, seeing that there was this opportunity with the current state of tools and access to data and the unmet patient need, that as these ideas sort of formulated with my co-founder, Jared Rebels, who's a you know, software engineer extraordinaire, and you know, really became clear there, there was no other path for what I could do and what we could do. This was just a, a huge opportunity in front of us and that we had the ability to potentially impact you know, millions of patients. And so for us, it sort of evolved that there, this was the track we were on and, and we had to do it. Yeah, we hear that a lot from entrepreneurs. Once you identify a problem and you think you've got a solution, it's sort of a little irresistible, That's right. despite the, the apprehensions about getting into business. So uh, as we wrap up, is there anything else you want to share with us about yourself or Beacon Biosignals before we let you go? Yeah, I think it's been a pleasure getting some time to speak to you. Obviously, I think, you know, I'd love your listeners to to keep digging into neurologic and psychiatric diseases and, and really understand that there's this huge opportunity we see amongst many others that we can look back 10, 15 years to what oncology looked like, where really heterogeneous disorders we were often defining by the histology of the slides. We now, you know, we don't think twice that we're getting molecular and genetic profiling to understand what precision therapies to give and cure these patients. I think everyone should be looking forward and thinking about how we can drive that similar narrative and that transformation in neurology and psychiatry where I think we're, we're really on the cusp. That's a great note to end on. I want to thank you very much, Dr. Donahue, for spending time with us today. We wish you the best of luck with Beacon. Thanks so much. I'm Michael Carice. Thanks for checking out today's show. And remember to do your part to raise the line and strengthen the healthcare system. We're all in this together. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our episodes at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast. Mm-hmm.